everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we help clinicians in private practice apply a biopsychosocial approach to their clinical practice. We've got some in-person courses lined up for this year, so check it out at tkex.org. I'm excited today to be joined by Yuji Suzuki. Yuji is a chiropractor based in Portland, Oregon, and by far one of the most humble and dedicated clinicians I've met and have been honored to help through our mentoring. We'll be diving into some of his journey so far in the musculoskeletal space, the real challenges faced in clinic, and practical advice for new grads and honestly all clinicians in private practice. So Yuji, really appreciate you making the time for us, mate. Yeah, I'm excited to be here to have the chat with you. I was uh, reflecting on when we met and it was in the online space and uh, really appreciate all the content you put out. So do listeners check him out on Instagram and I'll grab that handle at the end. But maybe if we go back to uh, before uni, before study, what's your story? Before uni. Um, so I actually grew up in Japan. Uh, my family moved to Toronto when I was 12 years old. And that's kind of where I learned English. Um but I think I played baseball growing up um, and that's been kind of a large part of my life um, throughout college and, and, and high school and all this time. And from there, I think, you know, my, my passion and curiosity in this musculoskeletal world, strength and conditioning world kind of grew over time initially as kind of a way to improve my performance. Um, but ultimately after I was done playing, I wanted to kind of stay in the world and kind of came across chiropractor as a kind of by chance. I didn't have like a life changing experience with a chiropractor, having them as a provider per se, but, um, so went back to school, um, after college, um, at a school in Minnesota, uh, USA, um, and haven't really regretted since. Does the, the experience was from, a like a high level sporting team environment. And then this was the, is this, was this a second career? Was it at the same time? How did you kind of, um, what was the journey like and how did you manage study during that time? Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, be able to play in college. Uh, that's when I kind of moved from Toronto in Canada to the U.S. Um, and I was able to play for four years. And after graduating, I was actually, again, super lucky. I had an opportunity to continue playing in Japan for uh, for a year. Um, and at that point, you know, I was like, okay, I'm okay being done with baseball and just kind of be ready for my the next stage of my life. Um, a lot of soul searching, um, as they say, and kind of ended up where I ended up and that's kind of taken me to a, a direction that I didn't really expect. Um, but I'm happy about it. And, uh, what were some of the, um, inspirations to go towards chiropractic, ch chiropractic, because I imagine there would be other options. And I know that there's a different system in the States in terms of um, prerequisites and the, the journeys of school. So um, 
what made you choose chiropractic? And I know that that uh, brand has been evolving over the years. So I'm very interested to hear what your experience has been like uh, with within that world and within the evidence-based practice world and how they can combine and work very well together. So long-winded question, but what got you into it and how have you managed as a chiro? Yeah, so I had a degree in exercise science uh, from my undergrad, um, kinesiology, uh, some places call it. But I think I, at the time when I was kind of doing this research of what I really wanted to do with my life, um, I didn't feel like I wanted to be a personal trainer. And that seemed to be, that seemed at the time to be the only kind of a, a, an option that was realistic with my degree. Uh, so I kind of knew that I had to go back to school. Um, and I was looking at physical therapy school, chiropractic school. Those were my two main options. And I realized that physical therapy in the United States is, and in Canada too, is very, very difficult to get into. Um, I didn't have all of my prerequisites. Um, and when I kind of reached out to the chiropractic school, they were like, yep, send in the the transcripts, send in some of these application stuff and you can start in January. And I was looking in like November. Um, so I'm like, okay, easy enough. Uh, I'm going to try, I'm going to do that. And so I didn't really go into school having too many expectations of or understanding of what chiropractors did really. I kind of just assumed that PTs and chiros did mostly the same things. Um, found out it's it can be quite different uh during my school um but where was i going with that essentially uh, um i wanted to kind of get into a field where i could use my degree uh and i could work with people in in pain um that way i can try to be a fixer you know which we we both know that i don't have that kind of mindset at this point I guess that assuming and also looking back on um, my journey as an EP, there was a similar trajectory of I don't want to be just a glorified personal trainer. I want to help and rehab and and provide more service for people who are perhaps experiencing chronic illnesses or disease or pain and injuries. Um, and then you didn't have many expectations going in, but there was that, I, I guess, we see help as fix. So that's the kind of paradigm that we have. And, and eventually we, we can um, evolve that as the fix is just replaced with guide and coach. Um, how, how did, what was that journey like from, from the fix fixing perspective? Cause I imagine that's just the way that you were assessed and that's the way that you were taught. If it's anything similar to a lot of our experiences in, in school, we're, we're taught to find the problem, the issue, the, uh, pathanatomical uh, reasons, the root cause, the driver, and then we provide treatment to that to fix said cause. So how have you kind of um, reconciled that? What, how are you um, from the, the fixer to the coach, the guide? I think I was already curious in terms of like, hey, what's going to help me improve my bionic mechanics? what's going to improve my workouts what's going to make me the most athletic person you know that i can be and when you 
do that type of, of research on the internet, you know, it, it, everything that you're going to come across is, is this is the, this is the problem. This is the fix. And it, you know, you like, it's a never ending journey. Cause it's like, you, you know, one person says that this is the solution. And when that doesn't work, you move on to the next one. And like, it's this roller coaster of like, oh, this is awesome. It's working. Oh no, it stopped working. What's next? Um, and I, I struggled with that a lot when I was, when I was still playing baseball. Cause I, you know, it, it almost, because I was so motivated to get better, I was almost like limiting myself because I was being exposed to a lot of these guru type trainers and, and practitioners that were, that were selling solutions without appreciation for the complexity and uncertainty surrounding just human body in general. Do you feel that that would have been a protective factor almost as a filter for because of your experiences within sports and performance and seeing how certain uh, approaches were marketed and, and sold and then also experiencing that you know that there is no magic pill or, or quick fix did that do you feel that reflecting now helped within the clinical rehab space where there are also within pain care lots of uh selling of quick fixes and that's what drives a lot of the marketing do you feel that was a helpful kind of um yeah filter we'll say i think so because i've i i went through that process of like like just searching 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 and then you know you kind of encounter these different solutions quote unquote um and still not having the long-term success that I was looking for. Um, now, when I started chiropractic school, as anybody would, uh, when you're in that environment, you know, I went, you know, neck deep into the philosophy of chiropractic, as they say. And I really thought it was an extension of, uh, naively, like my understanding of what's supposed to be you know, what's like the correct way or what's the, what's the, you know, the, the fix to the problem, being able to identify a problem and then being able to decide on a, on a solution. Um, and it's, it's supposed to work. Um, but I think ultimately I kind of started to realize that I was, you know, doing the same thing that I went through, but as a provider directly working with people in, in a kind of a vulnerable um, context and situation because, you know, what I, in the context that I encounter with these people, what I say like matters a lot. Um, and it's kind of an opportunity to kind of send a person into a certain direction, whether it be continuing on with this search of, Hey, what's the right solution? We just haven't found the right thing yet versus it, there's some uncertainty inherently built into this process and I can still feel good about what I'm doing. It still makes sense, but I understand that it's not, it's not, you know, 100% guaranteed. I can kind of make changes along the way. And, and it's kind of this journey that you're, 
going along along with a, a, a guide if if necessary. Yeah, that's quite the uh, conversation skills to have within that context, especially if there is that expectation of as the provider, we provide that fix or we should have the answer. So I imagine outside of uh, like new grad years, as soon as you finished and, and entering the workspace, there would have been some struggles to um, apply that approach and, and some, uh, even if you do try it, it's not generally what we're taught how to, to do. And it might be different to other clinicians in terms of we're taught that this is, this is the problem, this is the solution, here's a management plan. And it's a very linear process. So what were some of your initial struggles um, and the challenges that you had when going into clinical practice? So I was just finishing up school when, when COVID hit, 2020 hit, um, which was kind of, I, and I don't want to be insensitive in the way that, hey, like I know a lot of people struggle through that period. But at the same time, I it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me because all the resources, all the researchers, all the you know clinical mentors, everything went online and for dirt cheap. So, and the school at the same time was trying to figure out what to do with their students. So I had all this free time and all of this resources that I could kind of gobble up. Um, one of the the people that was influential to me was uh, Craig Liebenson because he was doing like webinars, like for two hours at a time, like every other day. Um, and that was kind of my initial introduction to like things like pain science and person-centered care. Uh, and it kind of started to make this, this shift in my head where it's like, Hey, maybe I was incorrect here. Um, in thinking that I knew all the answers, um, which it, it, it's like the worst timing. Cause like I was just getting close to graduation, feeling kind of good about myself. And all of a sudden it's like the whole earth has shattered. I'm like, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing now. Um, and I don't have anybody that I can talk to where it's like, I'm trying to do this one thing and I'm hearing all these people on the internet, you know, seemingly applying all these things and feeling really good about it, but I don't have anybody in my direct circle that is, is talking about this stuff that I can almost have as a mentor almost. So for the first, you know, year and a half of my practice after graduating, it was very difficult. I had a lot of like moments driving home from work thinking, what the hell am I doing? And, you know, it's, it's, it was a very difficult time because, you know, I, you have a picture in your mind of like, Hey, how I I'm supposed to be able to do this thing where it's like putting the person first and being able to communicate the complexity of pain and getting people confident and feeling great about you know living their life and and i wasn't able to do any of that even on my best day um and you know i kind of started to look for mentors and more resources 
And ultimately I kind of landed on, you know, a few people that, or I guess I should say my circle of, of people that I looked up to, looked up to expanded significantly through social media. And that's around the time when I kind of started to find people like you and TKEX and B2R and, um, you know, a lot of these resources that were going to expand my horizon, really. The introduction to pain science in, in general was through an external webinar. So you had to like handle the existential crisis virtually. <laughs> uh, and that's a lot to have like on your plate as a, like if, if you don't have that support network and resources and examples and role models, because um, no one can do this alone. So that must've been quite the, the challenge and, like questioning your role and and if you even help people I think that's kind of the, the common thoughts that come up so yeah kudos to you for then in that state reaching out for help and having that uh vulnerability that strength to do that to expand your resources to to take some action steps and um it's so easy to have i'm imagining and there's i know of clinicians that would just stay in that bubble and and avoid the discomfort of unpacking of deconstructing their their clinical frameworks and the kind of role that they see themselves as so that's i think that that needs to be really highlighted that 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 shit's tough so kudos to you for having that like determination that care what, what kind of strengths did would you say reflecting back now that you had um, what kind of uh, qualities and what helped you at that stage of the existential crisis for not only acknowledging it and like facing it, not choosing not to avoid it, and then taking the step to reach out to grow your network. I just want it to be better. I just want it to do better. And I think, and I think everybody has that, especially people in, you know, our field. It's like, you know, you don't come into these fields because you like you want to make money or maybe a lot, some people but you know most people including myself have genuine care for others and using our skills and knowledge to support people who are in you know vulnerable positions because of their their body and their experience with the body in the environment that they live in um and i I enjoy learning and and that's why you know one of my core values is is curiosity and it's like and I don't have to work really hard at that it's just like I'm naturally I I just want to learn more especially in in things that that matter to what I do just pretty simple for you to just you had that urge to improve to grow to learn and that natural curiosity uh, that's that's needed and that's needed ongoing as evidence changes and emerges over time. So that's, that's really cool. And this so it sounds like the first steps were reaching out in the online space and following some accounts back to roots, uh, Craig Levinson, knowledge exchange and, and seeing what else is out there and, and then reaching out for help. Um, and what else helped you manage in those initial stages, those those challenges that you had in, in clinic and even the internal challenges and struggles that you had? 
do you have and you can expand on any of your experiences that you've already mentioned i think um things really changed once i started like writing things down um because uh, i was reflecting on what i was doing in practice but like on my commute home like in my brain or like speaking to my to my phone right like kind of taking like a video note or whatever um but i i don't know where i got the idea it might have been you but i decided to you know get a, a notebook and i started kind of writing things down because what was happening was i was kind of making not the same mistake per se but i was encountering situations where similar similar problems were emerging where i you know uh, had the best intentions, but ended up invalidating, invalidating somebody's experience, or I was really having difficult time helping, um, or facilitating somebody to make a behavior change. Um, or I failed to get a critical information out of their story, uh, where, you know, I, I wasn't able to help somebody kind of reflect on that deeper. Right. Like I think of these things in the hindsight on my commute home, but it just kept happening. Now, once I started kind of writing stuff down, I'm like, okay, it's, it's on paper and it helps me kind of come back to it from time to time. And, and really kind of have a constructive time to reflect on these things instead of just like screaming into the void Yep. And having that uh, intentional reflection, not just like the mind with the inner critic part of you or like, and I'm just describing my own mind here of like, oh, I should have done better. And uh, what went wrong? And why did I not know this? And why didn't I do this? Um, as you know, on the commute home, that's not really as productive, even though it can be seen as reflecting, it's not intentional and it's not constructive. So having that uh, guidance and, and I think, learning some frameworks that no one really in as far as I know, aren't, isn't really covered with how to like handle um, validation, how to properly uh, listen and honor someone's first person lived experience is not in the assessment criteria for the majority of MSK professionals yet. Um, so having that intentional reflective practice and writing some things down was a helpful step for you to, um, have an action plan and, and see the similar themes that you were encountering. And then it's like, okay, cool. This is problem A, problem B, problem C. And then you can find um, ways of navigating and managing each situation and scenario. And I'm recalling some of our mentoring sessions. So this is, this is cool. I'm getting a bit of a behind the scenes um, into your thought processes. And with the, the, so managing those, um, challenges what kind of skill sets what kind of frameworks what what things did you find most in a practical sense helpful um for the next step the action step of like testing and trying and experimenting with certain frameworks or approaches in practice i think things like motivational interviewing and some concepts from um you know, kind of like psychology informed care. Um, I think those are things that I keep coming back to in terms of like, okay, like uh, 
I could have shaped this question this way a little bit more, or it, it kind of acts as a, as a guide to kind of guide my actions, my behaviors. Um, and having these things written down allowed me to get to the next behavior instead of just thoughts. Um, and those things, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of books, I've read a bunch of lectures, listened to a bunch of podcasts, but ultimately I think it's, it's the doing part and reflecting on what happened has been the most effective way to improve my, my skills. And, and I'm far from perfect and, you know, there's so much further to go, but I, I think, you know, I'm definitely having a lot more days where I'm like, okay, I, I'm not blaming myself for not being able to help the person in front of me, in front of me as much. Um, and more having like more positive takeaways from these encounters to connect to what I, how I can do better next time. That's great. There's some um, frameworks now to make sense of that uncertainty and that complexity and then the action plans of kind of questions that would be helpful for a particular person or um, how to help behavior change or how to probably find out key little pieces from their story. So, so what did you do? Did you kind of write down? I, I know I still do in my clinical notes, like make sure I ask this question or like uh, inquire, expand on this point. So I have it in my diary, in my clinical diary because otherwise I forget and this is just like a practical um, action step that might be helpful for listeners what so you've, you've you like reflected you had some guidance as well um, with mentoring and then what was the next step like practically with uh, applying and practicing and trialing some of the the approaches just kind of reflecting on what happened and what I did and what the response was I think it's allowed me to kind of recognize it uh, a little bit more next time a similar situation happens um, and do something slightly differently. Um, not to say that there is a perfect sentence or a perfect question that I need to ask. It's more of this, you know, like I can slightly change the tone here or I can slightly change the wording here and see what happens. Um, and that's kind of that that same thing, what I, what we were talking about before of like the complexity and just human interactions, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's not that you have to develop a, you know, repertoire of perfect questions to ask. It, it's more that how can you adapt to the person in in front of me to just nudge them in a slightly different way or, you know, nudge them out of their current situation, see something that's slightly different um, and continuing on that conversation because one visit, one conversation isn't going to change things, but the accumulation of sparking curiosity or, you know, slightly introducing different perspective or having them experience something that they didn't think to try I think those are powerful moments um and and you know I'm experiencing the same thing as a clinician that I try to do with my or try to kind of facilitate with my clients patients 
of like just doing something slightly different is going to lead to hopefully a slightly different outcome and experience. And you just continue building on top of that. Yeah. Awesome. Just like with movement experiments, we can do some of our own intentional guided experiments um, to then experience what it's like with the human interaction skills um, and all of these kind of uh, reflecting on what happened, what you did, what the response was. That's so different to a lot of, I guess, CPD courses or a lot of what uh, people want to upskill in, in terms of the skill sets. Um, it, it sounds like it's, it's expanded in, in more of the human centered um, behavior change, psychologically informed practice. So what, what drew you to those instead of all the other options that could have been available to you as a provider, as a clinician? I don't know, honestly. I think it, by that time I was like, I, I realized that I couldn't be this guru type of person. I couldn't be this, this, you know, I'll show you the answer type of a provider. I was already like that. I don't know it, what I'm talking about some of the time and that's okay. There's some uncertainty here. Um, and I'm really open about that, um, as best I can and try to kind of embody that in my interaction. Um, and I think that approach is a little bit more human. Um, so it, it, I don't know. It's, that, it's a difficult humility, kind of question to yeah, kind of ponder on. It, I guess you, it sounds like you can't imagine any other way because it's kind of integral to the kind of person that you are and that you like strive to be you're, you're not the i'm just gonna say bullshit artist con artist snake oil salesman kind of type and that's how you, it, it felt like you were you you would have gone down a different route not to create this arbitrary binary and false dichotomy here but it just sounded like the these the direction that you headed towards was driven by the kind of person or the kind of values that you had, the kind of curiosity that you already had. Yeah. And I think part of it is that I couldn't be that, that other person. I think it takes certain type of personality and, and, you know, um, charisma, I guess, per se, is to be able to be that guru person. And I've, I've, I think I've tried to be that like, Hey, I, I know what I'm doing this is great. I'm great. I just like it. People see through it because it, that's just not me. Um, and ultimately like it just doesn't work. And you can kind of hear it in this conversation too, I think, um, where, you know, I'm not very great with my words. I kind of stumble through the points that I'm trying to make. Um, so I think naturally, being able to kind of have a longer conversation, deeper conversation, more nuanced conversation, just suited how I communicate and how I am as a person, rather than being able to, you know, like sell a, a fix. Um, I actually, after college, while I was in Japan, um, I worked just like a couple of months in like a stretch lab place and that's what they like they 
all they would teach is like, okay, you find this lack of mobility here and you just tell them that it's going to lead to this, this, this problem. And like, I was doing that for a little bit and I hated every second of it. It was terrible. And back then I didn't know that these were false information. Um, and, and still I was like, I can't be this person who has so much confidence in what I say, so much certainty in what I say. Um, so I think it was, you know, ultimately a natural progression to end up where I am today. Yeah. That, that feeling that you get that, that sense of this is maybe uncomfortable, that discomfort of, of like not being completely transparent in conversations. Uh, and I reframe the, some people would call it like an introversion as a strength. Cause you have the space to listen Whereas if you were following a script and you were, you know, motivational interviewing type of um, salesperson character and personality, that's more bubbly and, and outgoing and out loud, then there's less space for people to express what's actually going on for them and to even question things because you're so confident. So I think, I think that's a societal cultural idea there of, of like, just because someone is charismatic doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Um, and that's really um, a strength for you to have to have that um, space and capacity and willingness to actually sit down and listen and have that silence and then respond to how they are responding and being really present and in the moment. I think that's a almost an undervalued skill in general. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to offer some affirmations here. <laughs> no, you, you, you summarize things a lot better than how I would. Um, and it all sounds great. Um, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but I, I think um, it's, you know, it's, it, that was, I think one of the more difficult things at the beginning of my, my career after graduating is to not be that person who seemed unconfident right because that is also detrimental to the clinical interaction to be this oh i don't like oh i don't know what i'm doing I, I can't be that person and i had those moments where like does this person like does yuji know what he's talking about um and and that was kind of improved as i gained experience as i reflected on my practice and as i continue to gather resources and talk to mentors and and really with experience because these are things that we all experience where it's such a it can be such a, a different approach and a different uh, attitude when we are going towards that humanistic kind of um, interaction and that's central to our treatments and that moves away from the traditional interventionalist, like find it, fix it approaches. And people, the patients, the public generally expect that first, that latter approach, the, the find it, fix it approach. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm wondering how have uh, friends, colleagues, other clinicians that you've talked about um, in this space what have you found um, maybe difficult or challenging 
because I, I know it can be so different that people can be like, what, what are you doing? Yuji? Are you just like talking to them? Like, um, and what have you found helpful in that with regards to support networks and, and reaching out um, for help? Cause it, it can be easy to do on paper or even like individually, but then in, in the wider context of Cairo or of physical therapy or of rehab in general, it can still be um, othered. We'll say. It has been quite difficult. Um, I don't really have like an immediate circle of, of people that I talk about this like frequently. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of my community has been online and that's why I'm really appreciative of groups like, you know, the knowledge exchange and, you know, with uh, what David Newton's doing with uh, clinical concepts. Um, you know, some of these communities offer place where I can kind of openly talk about some of these things. And I'm not much of like somebody who maybe contributes a lot but I, you know, can be in that environment where I kind of take in other people's struggles and, and similar thinking processes and discussions that's going on. And that's been immensely helpful. Um, I'm forgetting the second part of the question now. Yeah. And that, so that, that was the helpful part because it's, you covered both, like what was the, how have other kind of colleagues, clinicians responded? And it seems like it, you, you can be um, isolated with regards to having, uh, these types of interaction skills and motivation interviewing and person-centered care um, conversations. So reaching out to online communities where we learn through osmosis just by uh, listening and, and reading other people's responses and other people's challenges. And then we realize, oh, we're not alone. And other people are also experiencing similar struggles and we can uh, learn just by being amongst that community and that network. Yeah, 100%. I think being like being able to find people that's doing similar things is is huge. Um and in the first like couple of years after or first year or so after graduating, maybe I didn't have as much of that and and I had to do a lot of it on my own. Um I had some you know, help here and there of course. But I think when I found these communities, that's when like my growth just excelled. It just exponentially grew in terms of, you know, what I was taking in and then being able to apply it to what I'm doing day to day. And looking at the uh, wider landscape of clinicians in practice now and, and maybe hearing second or third hand, some of the challenges and struggles, what, as a, as a wider community, what, what do you feel uh, clinicians need more of? What would be helpful for others in this space who are maybe coming across pain science or coming across communication skills, interaction skills, maybe for the first time, what advice would you give? Advice is difficult word because I still feel like I'm not in a, in a place to give advice. Um, but I mean, now I'm listening even more out. because of that, <laughs> because you're honest, just a side note. Please. Um, it's, it's, I it, it mean, reaching out to people and I really 
appreciate appreciate these you know people that both you and I look up to that consistently demonstrate humility and kind of showcase that they have uncertainty too. Um, that's been really helpful. And, and obviously if, you know, you are somebody who's listening to it in that position, just reach out to me, reach out to Daniel, reach out to the community. And again, just saturating more like, saturating your circle with more people that's kind of that share similar values things like humility things like honesty things like curiosity and exploration and supportiveness um some of those things and and maybe it starts with reflecting on what kind of clinicians or what kind of clinician you want to be and you asked me this you know prior before as well where it's like what kind of clinician do i want to be when i'm uh, like on my best day Right. Um, and that having those North stars like defined clearly can be really helpful in, in seeing similar um, attributes in other clinicians and, and people. That, that question is such a hard question at first when you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my values are. And I think having, hearing this, podcast is the first step and then having the um the question in your mind i think and, and allowing that question to to stay and 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 to reflect on because it takes time and i don't know about you but i'm still discovering what kind of clinician i want to be so it's not yep. like a clear answer and we have these um very complex it can be quite abstract kind of desires of curiosity and humility and and, and honesty um, and then seeing what that might look like i think um that process, it's a journey of discovery to answer uh, what kind of clinician we want to be. Um, looking back with all the hindsight bias now, so use that to your advantage. Um, knowing what you know now, if you were talking to Yuji of, let's say, end of 2020 or start of 2021, and I know you don't like the word advice, what... Um, what would you suggest? What would you offer? What would you maybe uh, have done differently if you had, you know, all the hindsight bias on your side? I would have reminded myself that I'm putting in the work. Um, and it is kind of a, a journey of like, I might not, you might not be perfect now, but you're moving towards some of those things. Um, and, and that conversation kind of brings me back to, um, the level up initiative with Zach Abor and Seth Allen. And I mean, that was transformational as well, because it kind of made me realize that, you know, becoming is better than being it's, it's this, I don't have, I'm not, I don't have to be perfect now, but what can you do to move towards better? Um, and that was that was huge as well. I, I'm I can't believe that I forgot to mention that as part of my story because that was, you know, honestly, one of the life changing experiences uh, as a as a clinician that I went through. Huge shout out to the Calu community and all the hard work that they do because what what I'm learning from this conversation is we all need that 
ongoing process of expanding our networks and communities and and reaching out and finding and learning from different role models i think it's it's like almost like a um, gradual progression and 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 repetition is needed it's not just a a one-off thing where you have say a week of um expanding your social media accounts and, and joining mentorship groups and then you're sweet and then you're perfect it's more an ongoing journey and gathering information and, and stealing knowledge and, and learning from other people's experiences and reflecting on your own experiences. And we need the Cal U, we need clinical concepts, we need knowledge exchange, we need all of these people, Craig Levinson and all these people that are leading the way and uh, role modeling the kind of changes that we want to, to see and then the kind of clinicians that we want to become. Um, and I'd say you're leading the way, Uji. Would you, reflecting on what you've been your journey so far, what would you say? I probably don't have the similar impact these, you know, big groups have. Um, but I think it, part of it is realizing that, you know, it's, it's by putting stuff out there and kind of being vulnerable in terms of like, this is what I'm thinking. This is my, what my experience is. And this is how I try to help the person in front of me. And if people find that valuable, great. Um, and if, even if that's, you know, two people, right. I mean, that's, that's better than zero and that's worth my effort of filming, whatever, or typing up whatever. And, and I get to see that I'm getting a little bit, a little by little better at, you know, writing or making videos or, making maybe some impact. Um, and, and I think that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I didn't think I would be doing any of that, um, from this perspective, but I don't know. I mean, if people find that helpful, I'm, I'm happy to hear that that can maybe help boost my ego a little bit. Um, so if you found it helpful, tell me. Absolutely. I think um, the acknowledging that it's it's not easy to put out work and and the feelings of um, maybe being judged or embarrassed or like I'm not good enough to tell this or to share this um, and then reconnecting with if if we want to be honest and and humble and and even just role model kind of like the the role models that we had we're just sharing um, standing on the shoulders of giants so I think you you do a great job there and and. For the listeners who are interested in learning more and finding out more about you, where can they reach out? I know that there's a Instagram handle that's by far the best handle I've seen. <laughs> um, so anybody can reach out to me at huge gains or at huge gains on Instagram. Um, y U J G A I N S. Um, that was something I came up pretty randomly, but it kind of stuck. Um, maybe not the most professional tag, but yeah, if it's working, that's all right. It's authentic. And, uh, I think we, we need that human kind of approach. Otherwise we get stuck into the objective, uh, lab coat professional quote unquote, um, title, but is there anything that. I haven't asked that you feel would be helpful for, for listeners who are uh, coming across similar journeys and, and 
sharing similar struggles and, and challenges as you have anything I missed. I mean, I think we covered a lot. Um, I think, I mean, my conversations with you always kind of takes into a deep reflective direction and maybe things that I didn't plan to kind of talk about or expand on. Um, so it's always fun talking to you and it really helps me. It's what happens after our conversation that really helps me is like, okay, like I, I didn't realize that I had these ideas or, or whatever, but it's this constant process of growing and doing a little bit better because we have that responsibility to, you know, somebody's coming in to get support from us and we can't take that lightly. And cause I've seen effects of, you know, one interaction that sets a person up for a, you know, like an unfortunate direction and that fucking sucks man like and it's i don't know i don't think we can get into it at this point but it's it's such a humbling profession or a niche for us to be in it's like like every every moment we need to be on top of the game and get better because it it matters what we do every day. Yeah, we have to forget that sometimes. Responsibility, moral duty, epistemic responsibility to to do the best that we can and to practice ethically and and make it about patience. You know, the the ethical kind of principles come to mind. Um, and yeah, and and just uh, acknowledging what you mentioned, I learned a lot from our reflections and our conversations as well. It's a two way. There's um, it's. I never feel, uh, sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't know enough. And I don't know if I would provide enough value for our conversations, but, um, yeah, you, you continually show all these values that, uh, I personally look up to, and I'm sure a lot of listeners and a lot of clinicians look up to. So keep up the great work that you're doing, Yuji. huge gains, sir. Um, and until next time, mate, thank you so much for the conversation. No, thank you. Appreciate you, man.